Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ of St. Paul, located in Matamidi, Minnesota. We are a suburban congregation united in Christ and grounded in the values of diversity, solidarity, and witness. You can learn more about us by going to fccstpaul.org. Here is this week's sermon. Please pray with me. O good and gracious God, your word is a light that shines in the darkness of our light and shows us which way we ought to tread. I humbly ask that these words we might speak might enlighten us in the path you call for us. I humbly ask this you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A reading of John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. Now let us attend God's wisdom for us today. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers, and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and that they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This ends this reading of this holy word. May it be good news to us. Brothers and sisters, in the course of one's ministry, often and sometimes you find yourself in a position where you are reading a text in a particular context. And while you understand there to be an authority and revealed 
insight from that text, it often leads you in very challenging predicaments that you can't clearly speak to what the text is speaking to. Moreover, you can only grasp at things and in doing that, get a little bit closer to what God has for us. And that's why I come to you today, not because I think I have a clear sense of this revelation of this text, but that I think that it's speaking to me. And in that speaking, it challenges me. And my hope is that if this text is comfortable for you, then it might challenge you. And if it is challenging for you, it might be comforting to you. And so I come not as some pastor with a revelation. Moreover, I come as one seeking a clearer sense of the revelation. In this text, there is a challenge about the place of God. And it leads me to a philosophical and even theological question. What is in a place? Now, if you think about it, it's a fairly simple question. Place structures and buildings. These are things we create to either safeguard ourselves or safeguard things we value. And yet, while structures have that functionality, there's always something more to them, isn't there? I remember recently, once a friend of mine was talking about the places that he had been. And he talked about Wrigley's Field. And he said that this baseball field had rekindled his love for baseball. He said it brought him nearer to the game because of where he was sitting. There's a profound thing that places do in our memory, in our experiences, that goes beyond just a mere functionality. They speak to our identity. You know, it's funny because when you grow up and as a child, what is one of the first things you're taught as a child? Well, where you live, your address. Why do we teach this to children? Well, if a child gets lost, the hope is that they can go to an adult or go to someone with authority and say, Hi, my name is so-and-so. I live at, can you help me get home? The belief is that our identity is found in where we live. The temple was that for the Jews of this time and in Jesus' time. 
The temple was a place where you could find God. It was where the throne of God existed, if you will. In the same way as we might look at the White House as the place where the president lives, so too for Jews of this time and place, they believed God resided in the temple. And so where for our common and our understanding, when I ask you, well, where does God exist? You would say either in some higher dimension or in the presence of myself or in the world, in the natural world. In this text and in this time, that would not make much sense. For the people of this time, it was to point at the temple. And so the temple was a place of great importance. It was a structure to give your faith a sense of security. So when Jesus goes into this temple and says these things, he's threatening the structure, the religious structure of the very place that he, that he claims to be a part of. He's challenging those people who have authority over this faith. It's interesting when you think about that. Recently, in the past year, after the events that have taken place in Minneapolis, there was a meme that came out. In it, it, it quotes many of the conservative line who say, destruction of property has no valid form in protest. And then it puts a quote, Jesus, and it shows him overturning the money changers. I found this meme profound, challenging, funny, and sad in some ways. And because of that, I posted it. The aim of the meme is to justify destruction of property as a legitimate or valid form of protest. And yet, when I pushed at this idea, it was interesting where that idea led me. Now, for many who read this text and read this meme, found it very troubling. They argue, and I think there's something to be said for this argument, that, no, wait a minute, that's not what this text is really talking about. If Jesus is the Messiah and is the Son of God, then it should make all sense that he has the authority over this property 
It's his property. He has the right to throw other people out of the property. And that the money changers and those people who were doing their business did not belong. So he was preserving, in some ways, property owners' rights. There's something else to this. Something I am struggling with myself. After the events that have taken place in Minneapolis and in this, after these days, in these riots in these other cities, often reporters would go into these places and talk to the people who had their businesses burned down. And often an interesting refrain that came about out of this was, we put our life into the business and now it's gone. Or our livelihood is now destroyed. Yet the person themselves was living and existing because they were the ones saying the very words. And yet in some ways it had a feeling as if they had been attacked in a way that would lead us to think that an act of manslaughter had taken place. It's a very uncomfortable insight to realize that many times people associate property with life. And because we define ourselves in the things we own and the property we have or the property we exist in, therefore to destroy that is to destroy a part of us. I struggle with that. I want to understand and agree with that, but at the same point, I think it reduces life down to just a set of consumables or a set of physical manifestations. And for me, life is more than that. You know, as I was sitting here listening to this text, the thing that fascinated me the most was that it was when Jesus is responding to the um, leaders. Because Jesus points out something. When they ask, what authority do you have to do these things? Show us a sign. As if they were, as if he was going to give them some credentials to justify that. He responds in a very interesting way. He says, Well, you know, tear this thing down, and in three days I will rebuild it. And they're like, Wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. We've been building this for 46 years, and you're going to tear this down and rebuild it? That doesn't make sense. But what Jesus is trying to tell us is that 
the body of Christ isn't found in any one building, but it is found in the community of God. It is found in the church. It is found in the body of Christ. Too often, and I'll be honest with you, pastors do this as much as any laity. We want to point to a structure, whether it is physical, social, economic, and say, that's where God is at. And yet, in the same way as a Jew, as a Jew of this time, would point to the temple and say, that's where God is at. But what Jesus is trying to have us see, no, it's not the structures we build, but the relationships we have with one another and the relationship with God, bound in the life, death, and resurrection of God. And what does that mean for us today? How do we go from this text that's really challenging. I don't have any clear insight as if to say, well, there are three things we need to do to transform our understanding. Moreover, I find that it's the question that matters. When we look at what we do, when we look at where we're at, when we look at the way we participate in the community. Are we affirming and building relationships that can lead to a living faith in Christ? Or are we building structures to protect, defend, make safe some cultural norms that make us feel safe. It's not an easy question to answer. Yet I think as we go back to the church, as we, the church building, as we soon will be, as we will begin a conversation about where we feel God's presence calling us to go forth to live into. What resources is the community going to need to do that? The question about how we encounter Christ, not just in a physical presence, but in the relationships we have with one another, is so important. And I hope that in answering those questions, we might get a glimpse of what God has for us. May it be so for us. Amen, amen, amen. We hope today's sermon podcast was nourishment to your soul. If you'd like to know more about First Christian Church of St. Paul, please visit our website at fcc 
fccsaintpaul.org. That's F-C-C-S-A-I-N-T-P-A-U-L.org. May God be with you in the coming week. Thank you.